Welcome to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast, a ministry of Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. My name is Michael Hodge, Senior Pastor at Locust Hill. At Locust Hill, we celebrate the change that God alone could bring in our lives, and we also recognize the calling to share that good news with others. Lives changed by Christ, changing lives by Christ. We welcome you to this podcast where we want to equip you to live in the reality of a life changed by Christ. Disciple-making is at the core of a church's calling, and we want to take advantage of every resource we can to encourage you today. We invite you to join us for a service Sundays at 10.15 a.m., Wednesdays 6.30 p.m. Our church is located at 5534 Locust Hill Road in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Our website is locusthillchurch.org. Well, our staff has once again gathered around the table to share our thoughts on another section of Gentle and Lowly. In this episode, we're going to discuss chapters 17 and 18. So to kick off the session, I want to begin where actually we're going to end in chapter 18 by using a statement that Dave Portland makes there. He, he writes, repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. And that's an image that J.I. Packer uses in his classic book, Knowing God, in his chapter entitled The Majesty of God. He writes, how may we form a right idea of God's greatness? And then he points to this step, remove from our thoughts of God limits that would make him small. And so I began with that quote because really all of our journey has been around that idea of grasping who God reveals himself to be, who Jesus is, gentle and lowly. And my prayer as we go through our conversation today is that we're grasping a little bit more of who he reveals himself to be. And chapter 17 kicks it off with the title, His Ways Are Not Our Ways, pulling from Isaiah 55, 8. So we'll let you start out our conversation here the quote here is, when life takes a difficult turn, Christians often remind others with a shrug, his ways are not our ways. So what are we trying to say when we say that? Uh, let you take so off. this chapter really challenged my thoughts on Isaiah chapter 55. And I went back and, and I had to study it myself because I don't know, traditionally um, in the way that I've taught, been taught since I've been a child and even, you know, heard some people closest to me explain this is when God does something you just can't explain, just, just say his ways are not our ways. Like, oh, I just can't explain it. So I just, I just don't know. And so I, you know, with the, my basis of understanding it that way, I really, when I was reading this chapter and saw that it was talking about God's forgiveness and compassion. I was like, you know, flabbergasted at first. And I went back and when I read Isaiah 55, it pointed me, you know, to God's redemptive plan in our life and how he even invites, you know, those who are wicked to return back to him. And so when we see that, he's not necessarily talking about when God does something that's just like completely off the wall that we can't explain, but it's God's redemptive plan for us because he loves those who are wicked. He calls those who, you know, are even the vilest sinner to come back to him. And because of that, his ways are not our ways. His 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 thoughts are not our thoughts. Um and so again, like I said, it, it really challenged my, you know, traditional understanding of this verse. Ray, I'll pull you in, tying in with that same idea. What's the specific meaning of the Bible when it says that God's ways are not our ways? So well, what did you discover? Well, I kind of want to go back because I missed a few. Go back to the previous chapter where it it, it, it says about provoking uh, God. Doesn't need it. He loves. He has to be provoked into anger. Right. Where 
we as human beings are easy to anger, but have to really <laughs> with love. And I think that sets up this chapter right here that you know God is love. He He is compassion. That's what He says. You seek Him, and He will pardon. That's so the thing. But I, as I was reading this, and I hope I'm on, is the prodigal son. I just kept, it kept coming back and forth that. Uh, as Jesus is telling the story, this is exactly reflecting what we're doing here because the, the son leaves and the father keeps looking for him. And just as, in the same story in chapter 15 of Luke, he looks for the lamb. And, you know, and keep looking. And that's what God does. He loves us so much, he's going to keep looking for us. Even to the point that as the son comes back and the father throws down everything he's doing, he runs out to him. God's going to do that's his compassion, and and I'll say the son, the older son, the one that did it, he can't understand. Right. He said, "Well, wait a minute, I've done what you said, yeah, okay." And but God's still looking for that one that strayed, mm-hmm. no matter what. And then I, as I was finishing up, I couldn't help but think about the third man on the cross at the very last hour. He's, he repented, and Jesus says, from here on, you'll be with me in paradise. And that is seeking. That's the heart of God. That's, that's what this is. That's God's heart. He's seeking to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. That's good. And it's obvious by just reading this, reading this chapter and, and reading the scriptures that you know, God is not like us, and, and Dane Orland makes it a point to say that, that we know that God is not like us. But then when you dive into Isaiah 55 and Psalm 103, Michael, what is the deepest way that God is not like us? And what does that what does that tell us about the way we fallen humans are are hardwired, are made? Yeah, it ties in with what Ray was just sharing, that the fact that he abundantly pardons. Mm-hmm. And what stirred in my mind as I was reading this section is just thinking about Christmas and if you have extended family, you kind of have the agreement, we don't buy gifts for each other because you have so many you have to buy gifts for. But if somebody buys you something, then what do you feel? <gasps> I now feel obligated to return something. So you can't just receive it and be grateful. You're like, oh, I should have got you something. So there's a sense of, I got to repay this. And we transfer that onto God. We've got to earn his favor. We've got to earn his love, his forgiveness. And so it goes beyond our minds to fathom a God that just abundantly pardons. Mm -hmm. And we see that in Isaiah 55 and Psalm 103. And so he stepped into our story because we couldn't earn, deserve that forgiveness. And so that's the grace of God. And so Jason, to toss that right back to you then, God's heart of compassion confounds our intuitive predilections. (laughs) So we have learned that Dane Portland has a vocabulary greater than most of ours. So intuitive predilections about how he loves to respond to his people, if they would but dump in his lap the ruin and wreckage of their lives. And so in what ways are you astounded by God's heart of compassion? Well, first of all, I'm probably like many of you. I had to look up the word predilections <laughs> just to make sure I was understanding it correctly. And for those who might be listening, predilections means a preference or special liking for something, a bias in favor of something. So you ask, how am I astounded? Dane Orland says, the fact that God wants our mess, that astounds me the most. 
Um, he doesn't shy away. He doesn't turn away from. He doesn't act like he doesn't see us when when we mess up, when we bring a mess uh, to him. God wants us to roll up all of our burdens on him. He wants us to have a target to which we direct our anxiety on. That target is God himself. We're to move from trusting in our own resources and strategies for life and do what God says. Our struggle is not in the what, but in the how. First Peter 5 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How exactly do we cast our cares on him? And again, that's the astounding part is that God wants us to do that, but our struggle is how do we do that? Well, obviously, in, in my understanding of Scripture, it's really through prayer. We have to ask through prayer. I'm reminded of, of uh, the story of Mark 9 when the disciples were trying to heal the boy with the unclean spirit. Before Jesus came down off the mountain of transfiguration, they were trying to heal the boy with the unclean spirit. They couldn't do it. Jesus came down and he healed the boy. And the disciples specifically asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And he said, this kind of spirit requires prayer. And they were neglecting that very important thing that, was in, that, that they should have done and needed to do. And so the scripture really says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so that's the expectation that he has for us. Um, and that's why it just really does astound me that his heart of compassion is so is so great. And we just need to take advantage of that. Yeah, and so this is one of those sections where you get stuck on his vocabulary, but it was one of my favorite quotes from the chapter because what he invites us to bring, because he, go, he goes from intuitive predilections mm -hmm. to dumping his lap, the ruin yeah. and wreckage of our lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're very hesitant so you say prayer even in our prayer lives we come before him maybe with praise maybe with requests but not with honesty and just mm -hmm. pouring out our heart saying god you know my brokenness you know how i'm missing the mark and so that challenge here dump into his lap the ruin and wreckage of our lives and so when you think about mark 9 using that illustration in our life group the conversation went around i wonder if they were just trying to do it like they did before mm -hmm. so they had already been sent out yep. earlier in mark to, to do exactly what they were trying to do right then, but because it was the call to fast and pray, that's that dependence on the Lord. So you can't just go through the motions. Well, it worked last time, and boy, we're quick to do that. And I think sometimes we we neglect to ask God the important question, why? You know, we don't want to get in that conversation with him sometimes because we don't want to hear the answer. Uh, but these disciples were brave enough to say, why did we, why were we not able to do this? Um, but David Orland goes on in Isaiah 57, 15, uh, according to that scripture verse that he references there, Katina, where are the two places that God most loves to dwell? How does this connect Matthew eleven twenty nine with our lives as disciples? Well, the two places that God most loves to dwell is gentle and lowliness. In Isaiah 57, 15, God states that he lives at peace with those who are humble in spirit, those who are lowly and have a contrite heart. A broken spirit and a contrite heart means we repent of our sins. 
by turning away from our disobedient actions and admitting our mistakes and turning towards God when we see our sin for what it is and come to God in true repentance. He removes the mask from our eyes mm-hmm. and takes the hardness from our hearts. Mm-hmm. When we acknowledge our sin, we are humbling ourselves before the almighty hand of God and offering ourselves to him. This act of obedience provides a renewal of the heart and gives way for us to exalt grace and imitate Jesus. The more we understand our sin, the more we can celebrate in and understand the depths of God's grace. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for what I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we're to do, to find rest in God. I love how you connected that gentle and lowly response um, to that to that question because um, Orland ends the, the chapter, chapter 17 with by saying, uh, it is what he does. It is who he is. His ways are not our ways. He ends it the way he begins it. And, and it's a great transition to chapter 18 because he goes from, from Isaiah to Jeremiah and chapter 18 is titled Yearning Bowels. My heart yearns for him, Jeremiah 31, 20. And so, Michael, if you kick off this chapter uh, of conversation with, you know, given the thrust of the first 29 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, what do we find in chapters 30 and 30, 30 through 33? Having just read through the book of Jeremiah a couple weeks ago, it's a book that you have to push through at times because it is filled with judgment. And yet in the midst of all of the judgment that's pronounced through the prophet Jeremiah, when you get into later portions and even interspersed all throughout the chapters, you see hope. You see the promise of God that he's going to restore his people. And so when you come to chapters 29, 30, 31, you see a shift of that hope that's found, that even though they're still in the midst of rebellion, you read verses like this in Jeremiah 31, 13, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and will give them gladness for sorrow. And it's also in Jeremiah 31 that you hear that promise of new covenant. And this past Sunday, I referenced this, that it was no longer going to be written on tablets, but it would be written on their heart. So in the midst of a a book that you think is oh, heavy in judgment, there's amazing words of hope. And so there's hope in the Lord. So I think we see that in the first 29 chapters gives the context, judgment, return to me, but then 30, 31 and forward, you see that hope that's found in the Lord. And so Will, I'll talk to you with this quote here. It says, the Bible takes us by the hand and leads, leads us out from under the feeling that his heart for us wavers according to our loveliness. And that certainly ties in with Jeremiah. God's heart confounds our intuitions of who he is. So how would you answer the question about who God is based off of what we're reading here in chapter 18? So you started the whole podcast off with kind of my thoughts on this because I would, God's big. I mean, God is big. And like we can talk about, you know, his transcendence, how smart he is, how high his ways are. Um, and then you even used the quote, you know, repent of your small thoughts of God. Yeah. 
Um, and so I was like, okay, that's exactly what I'm going to do. When I started reading through this chapter, I was like, okay, I see why I'm repenting of my small thoughts of God, because often we humanize God and we want to say that God's um, love, care, compassion, mercy is based on kind of like our human feelings. Um, and so sometimes we don't want to forgive somebody because we harbor hatred. Um, sometimes we don't want to care and have compassion on somebody because they look a little bit different than we do. And because of that, we, you know, we rein back our love, care, kindness, and compassion and mercy for him. Um, but his love isn't determined by the fleeting human emotion. His love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy is determined by his steadfast and unchanging love. I mean, it never changes. And just, you know, just a little piece about the, the Jeremiah too. Um, and it's crazy because like there's verses that like constantly come up in my life and like God's trying to teach me something through them. And it's Romans 5, 8. And I don't know why this keeps coming up. And I just literally wrote it down right now when you were saying that, because I think the the book of Jeremiah like perfectly like, aligns with that. But while we were still sinners, like all them chapters of judgment and then that pronouncement at the end, my hair's just standing up right now. Like it gets me so excited. But that's like, if we could like transplant that to where we're at in our own personal life and like see like where the judgment of God, his wrath should be upon us, but because Christ died for us, it isn't, it just blows my mind and just makes me so thankful for God and his mercy and sending his son, like funneling that down, like the yearning of his bowels, his deepest desire for us bringing Christ to us. Wow. So good. That is, that is good. I love this part of this chapter because it really highlights the intensity of God's love for us. Uh-huh. And, and it takes it to another level. In fact, Orland says that the world is starving for a yearning love, a love that remembers instead of forsakes. And so Amanda, bring you in right here with this question. How is the world starving for a yearning love? God created us to have love in and through us since that is who he is. Unfortunately, in this fallen world, sin has marred what God intended. We know God's command to love him and love others. Even though sin has corrupted the outward expression of love, this doesn't change the fact that we still have a deep desire to run back into the arms of the one who knows us. And despite our mess or the mess that we are in, he desires for us to be in no other place but in his embrace. You know, you you highlight despite our mess and the mess that we are in. Um, Tracy, you know, we would we would be a mess if we didn't specifically talk about how how God the intensity of God's love, you know, flows down to us even in our messes. And so that would be a question that I would offer to you is what are some ways that you have seen the intensity of God's love flow to you? Um, when I read this section, I immediately thought of my own salvation testimony. Um, at 18, standing in church, not really being knowledgeable of God's love and what to do with that. I remember feeling the urge I needed to do something, um, went forward and unfortunately didn't have someone on the other end to really like carry me through that. Um, so I went through the motions, baptized, but I changed absolutely nothing about my life. And for 10 years, which is sad to say, well, 10 years, um, was the worst of my life of disobedience and not living. And then I was still in church, just wasn't doing anything with it. And at 29, I woke up on a Sunday morning with just this heavy, heavy burden of him saying, you're not saved. Um, and just the fact he spent 10 years, like he didn't go anywhere. 
I'm going everywhere and he's right there waiting and still pursuing. Um, and just that he didn't give up. He loved me intensely. Um, and that morning I've changed my life forever. So tied in with what you just shared, Jeremiah thirty one twenty, my heart yearns for him. And so Andy, if those words were to get dressed in flesh, what might those words look like? It'd look like Jesus. I got the good question. It's a good answer is Jesus. It's always is. But, you know, Jesus is God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And, uh, Je- you know, Jesus embodied justice and mercy. So justice gives us that order. It gives us that fairness in life. Uh, but I cannot enter heaven without his mercy. I can't have an abundant life without mercy. And I, I love the fact that Ray brought the three, uh, the, the third man on the cross there, uh, because there you see justice. Uh, he was not there because he offended someone. He was there because he was a criminal and justice was being served. But then we see Jesus, God, show mercy for eternity. And all of us experience that. It's an amazing thing to understand that justice must be served. But then God put all of that punishment on his own son so we could have that mercy. What an amazing, amazing thing. Hallelujah. You know, Andy, the words that come to my mind are the blushing effusiveness of heaven's bowels <laughs> funneled right. down oh, into the right. crucifixion of Christ. I'm <laughs> ready to say the same thing. <laughs> Another one of Dane Ortland's big words, yeah. but love all that. of his love shows up in the cross because for every reason, just like those criminals on the cross, we should die because we deserve the wrath of God, and yet his love funnels down. And you know, Dane Ortland talks about the fact that we have a difficult time understanding God's mercy. I don't think any of us this side of heaven will ever understand that. We'll completely, you know, God's word says we have, we, it's difficult for us to grasp the width, the height, all of God's love. So we go back where we started, repent of your small thoughts of God's heart, repent and let him love you. So I pray that for us as a staff, that we're constantly being reminded of the wonder of God and also for all of our folks that are listening, that that would be true of you as well, because when we repent of our small thoughts of God's heart, it'll lead us to draw closer to Him, it'll lead us to worship Him. I thank all of you for joining us. We have just a few episodes left, so we hope you'll join us as we continue walking through Gentleman Logan.